Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the Dominic West, Lily James affair that we could never have predicted and we care so very much about. Plus, Cardi B and Offset are back together again. And then why everyone cannot stop talking about Netflix's Emily in Paris. But first, my beloved Zara McDonald, how was your week? Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. <laughs> You're so beloved too. Oh, it was not bad. It was not bad. Can you tell? We are recording this, of course, as we always do on Sunday afternoon. So clearly Victoria's <laughs> restrictions have been eased and the announcements have been made. It's not perfect. It's never going to be. But I think life <laughs> will get a little more exciting for us in the coming weeks. And we might have a story or two to bring. For now, though, what I would say about my week is for those following along in the chicken salt saga, I bought about a kilo. Oh, yes, all of us. A kilo of chicken salt and I got, I got a message from someone about it saying just be careful when you buy you know a thing of chicken salt this big because little weevils get in and I'd, I'd not heard the word what? weevils before but I've never I, I want to use it weevils w-e-e-v-i-l-s I have to assume she means little bugs <laughs> Oh, you know what? Yeah, I, I know. you meant like chicken salt weasels, like someone who's going to like steal your chicken salt. No, someone was like, be careful of weevils. And I would actually love to know if this is a word or if this person has made it up. But <laughs> it can get really manx if you don't look after it properly. And lo and behold, the next morning, I've already lost the lid to it. So my chicken salt's going Yuck. terribly. Oh, no. Have you had many chippies? Quite a few, <laughs> unsurprisingly. <laughs> The other thing that was quite exciting about my week, Michelle, is I said to you, 
I'm starting to realise through this lockdown that there are a few things to enjoy rather than the domestic things at home, which means I'm feeling (laughs) older and older by the second. And I bought new washing powder and I never thought I'd get so excited to get dressed because my clothes smell so delicious. You messaged me this throughout the week to be like, I have discovered the best new washing powder. Isn't this the best feeling ever? And I wish I could relate, but I actually don't think I wash anything in my life nearly enough. Like Mitch does all the washing in our household. I would have no idea on what makes a product good or bad. I don't even know if at home, if we use powder or like the liquid stuff, my knowledge base is just zero. Well, this is what I would recommend this week because I have an actual proper recommendation. But my recommendation is that if you've been using the same washing powder for months or years, it's not a bad idea to shake it up because then you get a new (laughs) scent on your clothes and suddenly it just smells amazing. It might not be the best scent ever, but I just think the pure point of difference Makes it all worth it. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. Thanks. What what like what makes it better? Is it the smell? Is it the texture? Well, I know after this conversation, I'm going to get a bazillion messages from people saying, well, just recommend the fucking <laughs> washing powder type. But the reason I don't want to do that is because it smells so strong that part of me thinks there's so many fucking chemicals in it that it's probably ruining my clothes. <laughs> do you know and what I mean? planet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because um, when I used to live with my housemates, I used to buy the same washing powder, which is an incredible washing powder. It was also really, really good for the environment and didn't make my clothes smell as strong, which makes me think that this washing powder isn't as good for the world. So it might be a one-time one. <laughs> But I would just recommend shaking up the washing powder situation. Thank you so much. I'm not going to shake up mine because there's nothing to shake up, but I'm sure the listeners really appreciate the recommendation. Thanks. My second recommendation, if you'll allow me. (laughs) Oh, please. What is your second recommendation? It's a television show on Stan called The Comey Rule. Have you heard of it? I'm guessing it's about the new Supreme Court judge. I have not heard of this particular It's not about the new Supreme Court judge. What is it? (laughs) It's about James Comey, the former FBI director. James Comey. I thought I heard Coney with an N, not Comey with an M, but that makes a lot more sense. Why should I watch it? Well, we are about 14 days out, I think, from the US election and Stan has dropped a series. It's just two parts, so it's not a huge investment about the FBI's investigation back in 2016 into Hillary Clinton's emails. I know my elevator pitch is not the best. I know for many that could seem (laughs) particularly dry, but it's a drama, so it's all acted out. It is... One thing to note is it's a bit saccharine. You know how sometimes American political dramas can be just a bit like Sensationalised. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little bit like that and it's very sympathetic to James Comey. But with regards to that story, it does give you a lot of detail on why it was such a big deal, how potentially it really could have influenced the US election. And I think it's a really timely thing to watch walking straight into the next US election. So, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. Like I said, it's quite saccharine. I feel like it's quite overacted. But it's good. (laughs) Why do I feel like you're reverse parking out of this recommendation (laughs) as you give it? Because it's like you got halfway and then you panicked. You're like, fuck. (laughs) Because when you recommend something that you know is not the greatest thing in the world, but actually genuinely worth your time, I don't want people to watch this being like, Zara, like, obviously likes really overacted, very earnest American political dramas. (laughs) I don't. It's just worth your time. How was your week? My week was pretty good. I don't have much to talk about other than the fact that I am adoring Junior MasterChef, which is my recommendation for the week. Oh my God, this show. It's so good. It's so good. It's exactly what the world needs. It absolutely is. I did not picture myself being a Junior MasterChef fan. When I was watching the legit adult MasterChef, I kept seeing ads for this come up and be like, oh, that's some good fun for like 
families and young kids, but I would never watch it. And then the premiere episode was on early last week and Mitch and I were like, we have nothing else to watch. Let's just put it on in the background while we figure out what we're going to watch on Netflix. We put it on. I like served up dinner. We're sitting down in front of it. And I was fucking entranced. I love Junior MasterChef. It is the most wholesome, uplifting, lovely thing on television. And I was wrong. It's so funny because exactly the same thing happened to us. We were trying to find something else to watch and had it on while we were like thinking of what to watch. And then I got stuck there and I couldn't stop. Like I feel like so many people would have been in that scenario too. Do you have a favorite? Because I've got two. I don't remember his name, but the Bulldog supporter. There's one who goes for the Western Bulldogs and he's just, he's Is a lovely ben? little boy. Ben, I think it's Ben. Has Ben got slightly red hair? Yes. Ben's my favorite yes. because tonight on MasterChef, which will have been last night because we dropped this on Monday morning, the promos are here gets a bit stressed cooking his meal and is about to run out of time and he um is racing around the kitchen like you know you've never seen anyone run faster I also like Georgia (laughs) who wore the little bandana yes she's so tiny and she makes such good food also a great narrator for the show like you know how Mm. she's like the Alicia Aitken Radburn of MasterChef Junior you need a narrator and Georgia is the narrator for everyone (laughs) else I will say Mitch and I have joked slash not joked about any future child we have they have to be into cooking like we're just going to make them think this is their passion so that when we get home from work they're going to like serve us up like a souffle and like some very fancy fish dish I don't know but how good would that be to have a kid who loves to cook and wants to cook all the time I'd be like yes please give me that child dare I be harsh but where's the kid learning the skills from we'll send them to cooking camp (laughs) (laughs) I don't know definitely not from me and absolutely not from Mitch who would burn toast if you asked him to make it for you well the funniest part about this is my boyfriend Ollie fancies himself as quite a good cook and watches was watching these kids being like I could take them I could take them and I was like yeah they're 10 like they're 10 years old. I actually don't think Ollie would be able to take them. Ollie is a good cook, but I don't think he has anything on these kids. I don't think he does either. So I'm glad we've got that on the record. Michelle, (laughs) tell me who we've got on the hotline today, please. Zara, today we have Anthony. He's a member of the 2.7% listenership of Shameless. Hey guys, uh, just another male listener checking in. I just got two things to touch on. Just finished reading The Space Between by Zara McDonald. Great job. I loved it so much. It's a really good book. Michelle, maybe next time you can help out on it. I'm just kidding, obviously. You both did wonderful with it, and I learned so much from it as a man. Uh, Joke over. The second thing is on Flex Mummy's Chicken Salt. I devoured the one kilo in about maybe three to six months. You'll be okay, Zara, depending on how many chips you decide to consume because of the chicken salt. That's all I've got. You guys are awesome. Thanks for doing what you're doing. And yeah, peace out. Bye. For those who don't know what the 2.7% is, of course, Michelle, it is our male listenership of Shameless. And Anthony, <laughs> I mean, great to have you here. Thanks for thanks for enjoying my book. <laughs> I quite enjoyed this. I wonder if we could ever set up like a matchmaking service with like listeners of Shameless. Every time we play a male listener's hotline message, we tend to get a whole bunch of women and men reaching out asking if they're single because they sound hot on the hotline. So, Anthony... <laughs> If you are single, 
Let us know what way you lean. Let us know what you're interested in. And maybe we can tease some people up. That would be kind of fun. Maybe that's our next project, Zara, matchmaking. I don't mind that. I mean, we've got another season of Love, Etc. coming out. Should one of the apps just be matchmaking by you and I? Maybe if members of the 2.7% actually do leave us hotmail messages, they should have all that info at the start. Yes. You know what this reminds me of? Anyone in Melbourne who was born in the 90s will remember this. The MX newspaper that used to be a newspaper distributed on Melbourne trains and public transport used to have a section called... I can't remember. It was like when you saw someone you liked the look of on the train or the tram, you would send a note into the newspaper and then sometimes they would tee people up and people would like get married based on the newspaper. I don't think anyone ever got married. (laughs) I mean, it was a bit like to the, you know, purple haired woman on the 752 Balmain line, we caught eyes at Richmond Station. Please get in touch if, you know, you were interested in me. I remember being a young uni student reading this Michelle and I was like desperately trawling through these hoping someone was talking about me the mysterious blonde on the Glen Waverley line or whatever no maybe we can set that up if anyone wants to call next week and send a message to Anthony we can play that and who knows maybe we can get something going Yes? No? Maybe? Well, we have no idea what Anthony is interested in. Anthony absolutely has not consented to this, but that's all right. Also, Anthony, fuck you for only noticing Zara for the book. I'm very happy to announce that some bookstores have actually started crediting the book to Andrews and McDonald. It's a great change. It's the change we all wanted to see, and I'm very thankful. It's justice, I think. I think that's what they call justice. Hey, let's actually get into our first segment for the day, though, Michelle, because we are starting with the affair we didn't know we'd care about. The affair we didn't know we cared about because I had really minimal knowledge on who the hell these two actors even were before last week. If you missed it, there is an affair love story scandal between Dominic West and Lily James. And if you're hearing those names and going, I don't know either of those names, they're totally foreign to me, that's fine. Let me give you a bit of a rundown because it really doesn't matter. Dominic (laughs) Gerard Francis Eagleton West is best known for playing Jimmy McNulty in The Wire which ran from 2002 to 2008, and Noah Soloway in The Affair that ran from 2014 to 2019. Quite meta, you might think, and you'd be correct, because in The Affair, he played a cheating father of four. In the real world, Dominic Jared Francis Eagleton West is married to Catherine Fitzgerald, his wife, who he's been married to since 2010, and they also have four kids together. Lily Chloe Nanette Thompson, also known as Lily James, is best known for being in Downton Abbey, a show I've never watched and will put my hand up and admit. Have you ever watched Downton Abbey? Are you serious? I I love Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey is the best. You can't come for me. You're the woman who hasn't watched half of Disney films. You've never watched The Lion King and you've never watched Beauty and the Beast. I'm not shaming you. I just think Downton Abbey is the best best TV show ever. You're right. (laughs) Lily James did star in Downton Abbey. I'm a bit confused as to why we're referencing everybody's middle names today. Uh, I just thought they had such British European names. Like imagine having that many middle names. But now there are so many names, people have probably forgot the key players in this story. So let me go back a bit. <laughs> Dominic West had an affair with Lily James, his co-star, but he is married. And as you say, Mish, the most ironic part of this story is that Dominic West did star in the affair. But he didn't just star in the affair. He was nominated for a Golden Globe because he played the role so well. So <laughs> this story, I think I would say broke Twitter. Is that a fair mm. assessment? I think Twitter was pretty broken after seeing this. The photos were published in the Daily Mail because they were running around Rome where they were filming their latest series, Kissing Canoodling, as the the tabloids (laughs) like to say, and 
<laughs> snogging, as the British press would like to say. Well, this is the thing, right? We can't say it was definitely a snog. What we can say is there is a pretty crystal clear image of one Dominic West kind of like canoodling his way into the neck he's like he's like neck kissing her right i thought canoodling was like hugging while lying down what is i'm gonna do a live google search what is the definition of canoodling i thought canoodling was like burrowing into the neck and kind of like doing a kissy kiss it's to cuddle amorously okay well that's and to fondle The word fondle is my least favourite word in the English dictionary. Fondle needs to be eradicated. (laughs) I'm out. I'm jumping out of this. I can't. My poor mother. Mum listens to every episode and you're fucking going to have to, she's going to have to switch off because of fondle. So does my nan. My nan loves listening to Shameless. Anyway, one weird detail about Lily and Dominic fondling is that in Pursuit of Love, which is the drama that they're currently acting in together, they play a father and daughter. There is a 20-year age gap between them. Dominic West is 51. Lily James is 31. They're playing a father and daughter, and somehow from playing that familial relationship on air, they've now become a little bit too romantic behind the scenes. It's very interesting because initially I was like, God, this is terrible for the for the series for a father and daughter to now be canoodling and fondling <laughs> each other on the streets of Rome on the back of the scooter. But then part of me thinks it's actually great, incredible publicity for the show because I'll probably be more intrigued. I mean, I didn't even know these two people before <laughs> this story broke. <laughs> I didn't even know this series was being made. And now I'd love to see them play father and daughter knowing what went on behind the scenes. I mean, the best part about these photos published in the Daily Mail is how much of a fucking cliche Dominic West looks. Sorry to be harsh, mm-hmm. but he's he mm. looks like an overexcited recently divorced man even though he's still married like he's holding on to lily james while they're on a scooter rolling around rome with his shirt untucked just looking (laughs) way too overexcited and kind of trying to be much younger than he is is that harsh ageist no the term midlife crisis absolutely comes to mind when you look at these images he looks like he is a kid in a candy store like he just can't wait to be seen around town with this 31 year old which is a bit problematic given his wife is back home in london as soon as these images were published he did rush home to the uk so what's interesting about this is because they're filming in coronavirus lockdown lily james and dominic west have been filming in a bubble so he likely hasn't been able to see his wife and four children in months So it's not that surprising that he maybe became a little bit too close with a co-star. But as soon as this came out, within 24 hours, he went back to the UK. And then wearing the exact same outfit he was photographed with Lily James in, he did a press conference with his wife. He didn't even fucking get changed between the two women. Yeah, this is one of the most incredible parts about this story. Actually, there are a lot of incredible parts and we still haven't (laughs) even touched on half of them. So you guys just hold on to your coffees this morning. Yes, he is in the same shirt the same pants and the same belt I think you'll find he just has a brown (laughs) coat over the top but it is exactly the same outfit they hold this press conference out the front of their fucking palatial castle home in the UK (laughs) and what is the strangest part is they walk out with pieces of paper of a statement they have handwritten where they write, Mm -hmm. I just want to say our marriage is strong and we are very much still together. He left the note around the press. It had both of their signatures at the bottom as if it was a fucking contract they'd signed. I think it must have been photocopied. I think they must have written one and then photocopied the others, handed it out to the press and then kissed for the cameras. But Catherine... (laughs) 
the poor wife who's just being cheated on has a bunch of tissues in her hand as she's kissing him. It's not funny because it's so fucked up. And like poor Catherine Fitzgerald. This is awful for her. She's found out her husband has cheated on her through the fucking Daily Mail, which is not how you want to find out that you've been cheated on, let alone finding out you've been cheated on at all. Now, I did find this an interesting decision, though. Neither of them were wearing their wedding rings. At least Dominic West certainly wasn't. His hand was out and about as he was talking to the press. Catherine kept her hand very firmly in her pocket. I just wonder why they decided to do a press conference within 24 hours and what was the thinking behind the note. You would think that any PR professional will tell them one of two things. Either ignore it, let it die down, let people speak, but they'll eventually forget about this within a couple of weeks. Or two, set up a paparazzo shot of you two holding hands, looking blissful together, out shopping or getting brunch or something to kind of squash rumours and show people that things are better than ever. Who the fuck thought, let's do a press conference out the front of the home and give everyone a note while Catherine has clearly just finished crying because she's got a bunch of tissues in her hand? I don't think that Dominic West plays by the book. I think he's a bit of a, um, an enigma because a 2016 interview that he did has resurfaced where in the interview, the opening kind of pause of this interview was a quote or two from him where he said, I mean, I think women should be more indulgent of affairs, he says, as he makes me a cup of tea. This is the obviously the journalist writing. I really do. It's daft to kick someone out over a fling, isn't it? Everyone should turn a blind eye to men's behaviour between 40 and 50. Let it all blow over. He pauses. Milk and sugar? <laughs> then the writer goes on to say, whether he believes this or not, I'm not sure. The 46-year-old star of The Affair and The Wire certainly likes to provoke. He rolls around in controversial statements like a dog in fox poo. So I'm getting the sense, as someone who had never heard of Dominic West before this, that he is quite partial to a controversial story or headline. Mm, yeah, I mean, I get that. Part of me wonders, have we been played? Like, if this is the kind of quote that he's given in the past, and that quote was given to the Evening Standard, is this all publicity for the upcoming show? The The photos aren't conclusive. It's not like we're seeing them mac on. I don't even know why I said that. I hate the term mac on. But it's not like we're seeing them make out together lips on lips. Could this have been a set-up publicity stunt and now we're all fucking talking about the show and you just admitted 10 minutes ago that you're actually going to watch it despite the fact you don't know who the fuck either of them are and you never would have watched it before this story? I think we've totally been played. But I don't think we've been played in the way that you think. I think they're absolutely having a relationship. Lily James and Dominic West probably absolutely having a little fling. I don't think it's unlikely that Catherine Fitzgerald and Dominic West have a pretty open modern relationship mm. because there was a line in a story in the Daily Telegraph I read this morning that said both of them, Lily James and Dominic West, have the same agent who was with them on this, you know, obviously on this set. And the agent is very good friends with Dominic West's wife. I just mm. wouldn't be surprised if they do have an open marriage. That's why the agent's not going to blink an eye. That's why they're not really going to stress about being public in Rome about this as much as, you know, another person would be. And maybe they're just playing us now. They're very clever if they are. I've, I'm very, like, respecting of any marriage that can survive being open. I'm not a big enough person to do it. But if you're a big enough person to do it, by all means, go for it. Coming up after the break, Billie Eilish and the policing of women's bodies online. Then, Emily in Paris is the most talked about Netflix series for young people, so why is it loved and hated in equal measure? But first, a word from today's sponsor. 
And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, Elizabeth, I've not got much else. You can do it. Andrews. (laughs) (laughs) What have you got for me? My first story is a story that we literally all saw coming. Cardi B and Offset are back together again. Dot, dot, dot. For now, that is from Vanity Fair. And Zara, I want to take us back for a trip through memory lane of a segment we did on The Quick and Dirty one month ago. This is what we said when Cardi B announced she was divorcing Offset. Are we surprised? No, we're not surprised. I think this has to be one of the most on-again, off-again celebrity relationships of all time. And I also wouldn't be surprised if these divorce papers are thrown out next week and they're back on again. Yeah, that's also a very good point. Cardi B could do so much better. And here we are. So for those who missed it, These two are very much back on again after Cardi B accidentally uploaded a nude photo of herself while she was in bed with Offset. Yeah, so this line from a News.com article really got me. Like, I actually laughed out loud. After she accidentally uploaded a nude photo of herself earlier in the week while she was in bed with Offset, Cardi took to Instagram (laughs) to confirm they had indeed reconciled. Can you think of a more embarrassing way to have to admit that you're back together with your partner? I can't think of a more Cardi B way, though. I don't think Cardi B can be embarrassed, which is what I love so much about her. Like, she just lives her life and does whatever the fuck she wants. And we all kind of feel like idiots for passing judgment or for, like, raising an eyebrow. She's like, I've always been this way. I've literally always been one. Welcome to my life. And I really admire that about her. She did get back with him after he gave her a very fancy birthday present, which seems to be the theme in Cardi and Offset's marriage. He fucks up. Then he does something extravagant and he wins her heart back. So it was her birthday this week. He gave her a fully customized Rolls Royce complete with matching $8,000 monogrammed car seats for their two-year-old daughter, Culture. And to think people were pissed off about a Kylie Jenner backpack. What about a monogrammed car seat? (laughs) I love it so much. I also loved that when she went live on Instagram to give an explanation, she said, I just started to miss him. It's hard not to talk to your best friend. It's really hard not to talk to your best friend. And it's also really hard to have no dick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I love culture getting older and reading these quotes about her parents. It's a lot. It's so good. My second story, a man tried to body shame the gloriously unabashed Billie Eilish. It didn't go well. That is from The Guardian. So, Mish, Billie Eilish was papped this week wearing shorts and a tank top rather than her signature baggy clothing, which she has made so part and parcel with her brand. She's also said mm-hmm. very publicly and very consistently that she makes a conscious effort to always wear baggy clothing because as a teenager photos of her body have been used to either sexualize her or shame her so when this pap photo was taken of Billie Eilish this week in a tank top and shorts it was in this case used to shame her with a guy on Twitter writing in 10 months Billie Eilish has developed a mid-30s wine mum body You can imagine the internet was not happy with that. And for obvious and very important reasons, people went absolutely nuts. And it reminded me a lot of when Billie Eilish did that incredible video. Remember when she did that video where she jumped into slime and she said, Mm. nothing I do goes unseen. If what I wear is comfortable, I am not a woman. If I shed the layers, I'm a slut. Would you like me to be smaller, weaker, softer, taller? Would you like me to be quiet? I just think Billie is one of the 
best role models we can have for young people, to be honest. And it shits me up the wall that she has to deal with stuff like this. Why is it always mediocre men who want to comment on the bodies of famous women? Like, why? It's such a stereotype. I bet the person who wrote this was a completely mediocre man. Why? I I want to know, like, what compels him to be like, I've got fucking nothing going on in my day. I have nothing about my life that makes me interesting or important. So I'm going to go comment on one of the most successful women in the entire world. Like, that's what I'm going to do with my time. That's how I'll be productive. I find this conversation, I think it's so interesting that this Billie Eilish story came up this week because it also coincided Zara with headlines about Celeste Barber and forgive me I think we're probably going to go on a few little tangents in this quick and dirty story but I think there's a lot to unpack here particularly when it comes to how women's bodies are policed online for anyone who missed this we posted about it on our Instagram profile Celeste Barber did one of her classic spoofs I guess of a celebrity photo you know how she does like the side by side and kind of doesn't mock celebrities how would you call it she just like kind of pokes fun at beauty standards right yeah totally and I think she pokes fun at how unrealistic a lot of these photos are that like none of us are going to look like this if we are posing or doing the same things exactly so she posted a side-by-side collage of Candace Wannapole a former Victoria's Secret model posing mostly nude compared to Celeste Barber posing mostly nude in the exact same way what was interesting about this is while Candace Wannapole's image was left up by Instagram deemed totally fine nothing to see here Instagram chose to remove Celeste Barber's photo from the platform because apparently it violated their community guidelines on nudity and sexual content. Now, this has sparked, again, it's not a new conversation, but it's certainly one that has been reignited this week, a conversation about what the fuck is going on with Instagram's moderation team and what is going on with their algorithms because they seem to, again and again, privilege thin white bodies. And in Celeste Barber's case, I think it certainly showed how much thin privilege just permeates the platform. Yeah, well, this is what I find really interesting, right? Because it's not just been Instagram that's been in the limelight in the last few months for their really problematic algorithms. I know a month or two ago, Twitter was in a similar scenario because they were forced to apologize for what users called a racist image cropping algorithm. And it was a racist image cropping algorithm. I don't know if you saw this around, Mish, but essentially what had happened is when you post on Twitter, if you post like a really long vertical photo, it will zoom in on one part of it. So people kept doing this test where they'd have like a white person at the top and a black person at the bottom or a black person at the top and a white person at the bottom. And consistently it would zoom in on the white face, meaning the algorithm was zooming in on white, skin and it was a really really alarming thing to see that it's not just moderators as you say making these decisions be it about women's bodies but algorithms that are created to champion some characteristics often white characteristics often white skinny people and you know try to hide others it's really interesting because on our post about celeste barber we did get a message reply saying well if this is an algorithm it's a computer we can't blame individuals and i just completely disagree with that line of thinking. Algorithms aren't just born out of nowhere. They don't grow from the ground. Humans write algorithms. So algorithms will be biased based on the teams of people who write them. And I think issues with racism and fat phobia are embedded in the very walls of Facebook and Instagram and the people who are working behind the scenes on actually building these platforms. I think 
We have seen racism and fat phobia in their algorithms. And to fix that, they need to make sure that the teams writing those algorithms are diverse. And we know too well that people in tech tend to be white. They tend to be privileged. They tend to be middle-aged men. And so it's not overly surprising that the form of female nakedness that these algorithms platform is one of the male gaze. It's one of the patriarchy. And I think we actively need to push back on this. I do want to point towards one woman who is doing incredible things. Naomi Nicholas Williams is a model. We actually pointed to her Instagram account back in August via our newsletter when some shameless listeners brought her campaign to our attention. That campaign is called hashtag I want to see Naomi. She realized that her nude images or her lingerie images were repeatedly being taken down by Instagram, despite the fact that, and I quote Naomi here, millions of pictures of very naked, skinny white women can be found on social media every day. Naomi's doing incredible stuff. If you guys want to learn more about what we can do about Instagram and Facebook algorithms, please do go and follow her. She is at Curvy Naomi. That's Curvy N-Y-O-M-E. She's an incredible person to follow. Yeah, absolutely. She's an incredible one to follow. My third story, Danielle Bernstein takes legal action against lingerie brand accusing her of copying designs. That is from Fashionista. I have to be honest here. I researched this once you brought it to my attention, Zara, but I'm not as across this as you are. You do really love your fashion journalism. Yeah. So this was brought to my attention from Diet Prada. Diet Prada have been trying to take on Danielle Bernstein for some time. If you haven't heard the name Danielle Bernstein, you might know her fashion blog, We Will Watch. She started as a fashion blogger under that username. She now has two and a half million followers and she's not just a fashion influencer anymore like a lot of people have she has leveraged that following to create a clothing brand and a few other businesses what's been really interesting is Danielle Bernstein has been in the line of fire like I said from Diet Prada in particular because she has been accused more than once of ripping off the designs of smaller brands which just sucks on so many accords But the shittest part about this story, Mish, is Danielle Bernstein was accused by a small brand called Great Eros, which is a a lingerie brand of ripping off their designs. So they Mm -hmm. had this like very beautiful bra that they had like a silhouette, a female silhouette pattern across. And Mm -hmm. Danielle Bernstein almost fully repurposed it. If you look at the side by side, they look very, very similar. She was accused of copying them. And what she did in response is she decided to sue this much smaller brand. What I find interesting is the brand's lawyer, the great Eros's lawyer has come out swinging, understandably, calling this slimier than anything he's seen in more than a decade of practicing law. Mm, I hate copying. It makes me so mad. And the, the difficult thing is that, and anyone in creative industries will know this, it's sometimes very hard to prove. Like, you know, totally. someone's taken too much inspiration from your work. You know, it's a ripoff of what you've done and what you've created. And yet, because it is so fluid and up to interpretation, people just often discount this or don't take it as seriously as they should. But if Danielle Bernstein is ripping ideas off small creators, I cannot begin to imagine how frustrating that is to even discover it, number one. But to then find out that she's trying to silence them by using legal action is just infuriating. Well, it's incredibly intimidating, isn't it? And it's a bullying tactic. The brand took to Instagram and announced that they were being sued by Danielle Bernstein and said that four years of work is being stripped away because Danielle is taking us for everything we own over a design that she allegedly stole from us. She is now suing us to bully us into submission. Like, it's just gross. So it's definitely a story I'm going to keep an eye on because I just don't think public sentiment is going to be very stoked about this story or on board with what 
what Bernstein's doing. Absolutely. My fourth story, Isabel Lucas opted out of COVID testing on Byron Bay film. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Isabel Lucas has emerged as quite the anti-vaxxer and quite the COVID denier almost in 2020 Zara. Yeah, so she hasn't had the best run with regards to general medical health beliefs being made public, (laughs) I guess I would say, Mish, in the last few months. (laughs) She did an interview with an American health and wellness podcast where she said she opted out of being tested for COVID-19 while making a film Bosch and Rocket in Byron Bay last month. It's an odd story because producers say the test was a mandatory condition of participation on the production. And mm. in a statement to the Sydney Morning Herald, the producers said they were not aware that she had not followed the film's COVID safe guidelines, saying that every cast and crew member was required to sign an acknowledgement that they would adhere to the COVID safe guidelines adopted by the production, which included an acknowledgement that they had been COVID tested prior to principal photography. Look, it's a very confusing story. I hope that she actually did get tested and just forgot about it, given that it was a requirement to be on set. And if she didn't get tested and say that she did, I just feel sorry for her co-stars. I feel like it's putting people at risk. My fifth story, birthday boy, Zac Efron celebrates his 33rd birthday in Byron Bay with his girlfriend, Vanessa Valadares, our favorite hot normie person, and a star-studded guest list, including Kyle Sanderlands, Pat Rafter, Craig Hemsworth and Renee Barge. That is from the Daily Mail. Who is Craig Hemsworth? (laughs) I was just about to say, if I didn't have the prior knowledge of who Craig Hemsworth was, I don't know what I would guess. I think I'd guess his cousin. (laughs) He's the father of the Hemsworths. (gasps) Is he? The the whole Hemsworth family is kind of cool if they're getting invited to Zac Efron's party. Or maybe Zac Efron's party is just full of hot normies. Hot normies. Does Craig Hemsworth live in Byron Bay? Has the whole Hemsworth family relocated from Phillip Island to Byron Bay? Because if so, what a glow up. No offence to anyone in Phillip Island. (laughs) I think that they must have. I think they must have relocated. So I found this so interesting because... Meeting your partners or your newish partner's friends is nerve-wracking at the best of times. And I feel like the first birthday, like the first big birthday is one of the most nerve-wracking times. But imagine it being a room full of celebrities, like thoughts and prayers with Vanessa Valderas right now. Hang on, Zara. We're not talking about like Nicole Kidman. We're talking about Kyle Sanderlands, Pat Rafter and Craig Hemsworth. They're not exactly like, no offense to any of them. They happen to be shameless listeners. Love you all. Not A-list celebrities, I will say. I am very surprised Kyle Sanderland's copped an invite to Zac Efron's birthday bash. Yeah, apparently they've been speaking all year since Zac Efron moved to Australia. I would also say (laughs) that if you are the father of A-list celebrities, you count. That Pat Rafter, Mm. Pat, I don't know what category of celebrity Pat Rafter fits into. It's just very random that all these people are at this party. I'm very happy for them all, though. I've got to say, if I was invited to Zac Efron's birthday, I would not decline. I would be there in a flash. Apparently, Melissa McCarthy was invited, so that's pretty A-list. But she didn't go. So is it A-list? She wasn't there. (laughs) Also, I'm pretty sure once again, we're having a very basic bitch conversation about Vanessa Valadares. From all accounts, she'd be... So chill with meeting Pat Rafter. Like, I don't think she's going to be fangirling in the corner. She's Vanessa Valadares, queen of being hot normie. I don't think she's phased at all. We've just described her personality she probably doesn't even identify with, but sure, happy birthday to Zac Efron anyway. (laughs) And as always, Vanessa, keep doing your thing. We're big fans. (laughs) That's all for today's Quick and Dirty. Hey, thanks so much. Three, two, one, Zara! 
It's the top trending, most talked about comedy drama of the moment. Emily in Paris is on Netflix and stars Lily Collins and was created by Sex and the City's Darren Starr and it is the buzziest topic in pop culture right now. Vogue Australia wants to talk about the four trends from Emily in Paris to adopt in your Parisian-inspired wardrobe. Spoiler alert, they want you to wear a beret. Very original. While The Guardian wants to slam its excruciating exorcism of French cliches. No matter where you stand, anyone who has watched Emily in Paris has something to say about it. So Zara, tell me if you had to sum up your thoughts on Emily in Paris in a single sentence, how would you? Sugary, shallow, mind-numbing, but relatively enjoyable. Great sentence. Thank you for that. Why Why sugary and shallow? Because there's not a lot going on, I don't think. For those who haven't seen Emily in Paris, we'll do our best to give as much context as we can without spoiling the show. Though, dare I say, there's not that much to to spoil because the plot's not the strongest. I'm not saying it's an awful waste of time. I just... (laughs) I just find it an interesting show and there is so much to unpack. I, the first thing I will say is I was just so intrigued by this before I had watched it because I wonder if people would agree. I've not seen something seem so contagious but so derided on social media. Like all I kept seeing was hype around this show, but I couldn't work out if it was great hype or horrendous hype. Yeah, look, okay, this is the crux of why we began this podcast though, right? Often women's interests or things that are deemed a little bit frivolous and silly are derided as being stupid. And I think that's part and parcel as to why Emily in Paris has been so prolific online in that people are enjoying it and people are watching all 10 episodes, but they feel the need to give a caveat as to the fact that this is very lowbrow for them and it's very stupid, but they're watching it anyway, but they can point at all the flaws it has. I don't know. I think it's very much tied to the fact that we tend to deride women's interests. Yeah. I I mean, I obviously agree with your overarching point that we deride women's interests, which is because it's exactly why we created this podcast. I'm not sure I'm not sure this falls into the same category. I mean, we'll unpack it as we keep going, but this is a pretty unique show, I think. This is pretty unlike a lot of other things I've watched and enjoyed. And I think people aren't being embarrassed about the fact they like it. I think they're just being self-aware about what the show entails. We will unpack it a bit more. Do you want to give sort of maybe the elevator synopsis to listeners who haven't seen the show about what it's about? Absolutely. So... The way I would describe this show is imagine those couple of episodes in Sex and the City where Carrie goes to Paris for work, except instead of it being Carrie, it's a girl called Emily Cooper. Instead of being a magazine columnist, she is a marketing executive. And instead of it being a couple of episodes, she lives in Paris and will be living in Paris for at least a year as she helps a top tier marketing firm represent some of the most exclusive fashion brands in Paris. Yeah. Or if you want to be Rachel Handler for Culture, Darren Starr has done it yet again, centered an entire show on a thin, gently delusional white woman whimsically exploring a major metropolitan area in wildly expensive couture purchased on a mid-level salary. I mean, <laughs> take whichever one you want. That is the crux of the show, though. It is sugar and it is sweet, but it is a really lovely watch if you're not interested in anything that really kind of makes you think a lot. I think that's fair, and I think that is why a lot of these shows are quite popular. What I found very interesting, Mish, just a quick observation before we really kind of get into the thick of its popularity or its non-popularity, I don't even know what it is, <laughs> is I felt like they were trying to dress Emily Cooper circa 
Blair Waldorf in 2007. Mm. Like when we loved what Blair Waldorf wore on Gossip Girl because we were like 15 at the time and it was cool. But they just never sort of evolved with the the Emily wardrobe. See, I got a younger version of Carrie Bradshaw and the stylist is the same across both shows. So Darren Starr has worked with Patricia Field multiple times and I got Emily being very much a young Carrie Bradshaw stuck in Paris. I didn't like a lot of the outfits, but I found them one of the most fun and engaging part of the show like yes here we have a woman supposedly in her mid-20s who is walking around with the entire new season of the Chanel jewelry and accessory range like I've never seen a woman wear more Chanel necklaces in my entire life and that was so Carrie Bradshaw for anyone who watched Sex and the City what took me by surprise was how many people including yourself Zara found the main character of Emily really annoying. And this made me a little bit self-conscious because it did not strike me that Emily was that annoying the entire way through. Sure, the show's premise is a little annoying that this American girl moves to Paris, doesn't learn a word of French before she moves over and then expects everyone to take her ideas on board because they are the absolute best and everyone in Paris doesn't have a clue and she's the American girl with all the solutions to the French people's problems. But she herself as a character didn't strike me as that annoying and now I'm having a bit of an existential crisis. I thought she was like completely insufferable. <laughs> Do you feel like me that way? I, now no. I'm thinking, like, am I like that? Is that why I don't find oh her annoying? Oh, my God. Way to centre yourself, <laughs> mate. No, I think that she was pretty insufferable and pretty self-centred and pretty annoying just in her dealings with people. Like she centred herself in all of the conversations. She had very little regard of other people around her, whether when she was asking people to do favours for her and things like that. Like it really rubbed me up the wrong way. But she is also the kind of person that had I known her in real life, you would see the redeeming factors in the sense that she would be over the top and annoying and in your face and a little bit self-centered. But there's a vulnerability there, Dara. I'm going way too deep now. There's a vulnerability there where you'd kind of be like, oh, she's all right some of the time. I didn't get any of that. I just liked okay. her. No, I didn't. <laughs> One of the examples that really stuck out for me, and I know this is a really small example, but there was a time where her shower broke and she yes. ran downstairs to her neighbor and knocked on his door and he opened it and he was like, oh, I've just been asleep. And she's like, I don't care. Come up and fix it for me. And he was like, well, what about saying hello? And she's like, just come up and fix it. Or when she called that same guy <laughs> and needed his restaurant because she didn't have a table for a work meeting, called him. He said, but my restaurant's about to close. And she said, cool, thanks so much. And hung up the phone. Like that is not yeah. a way that you or anyone else treats people in the real world, I hope. Yeah, no, that wasn't great. But also I think I just... I just loved it so much and I genuinely enjoyed watching the 10 episodes so much. I didn't care about the bad behavior or the selfish behavior. Also, I feel like interesting characters are selfish. Like it would be a boring TV show if they gave us the perfect millennial who's not only high flying in her marketing job, but also the most compassionate, self-aware, self-effacing young woman on the planet. Well, there goes the entire plot, right? Because the idea is that she's not self-aware at all. I think your better argument would have been not that you liked her, but that you didn't care that she was shit because that's more where I'm at. So therefore I'm telling you that my argument's better than yours. I think we're on the same page. What I didn't like, I mean, I don't know why I feel the need to defend this show so fiercely. I guess it's probably because I literally watched 10 episodes back to back on my day off on the weekend and I loved every second. Like it was the best escapism for my mind. I've been feeling quite down, been feeling quite anxious and depressed and to put on Emily in Paris transported me to a fictional universe. I'll put my hand up and say that. I'm sure this is not at all what Paris is like in real life, but a fictional universe that I absolutely adored. 
One review that I just really, really didn't like was actually in the Rolling Stone. And this passage ran under the headline, Emily in Paris is not a good TV show. Here's why everyone's watching it anyway. And the writer wrote, while Sex and the City certainly trafficked in the vain and frivolous, getting into the hottest club, forfeiting an apartment down payment in favor of a closet of $500 shoes, it centered female friendships and grounded its storylines in real issues like dysfunctional marriages or infertility. Emily in Paris is not dissecting and driving culture in the same way Sex and the City did. It's skating over its surface in ignorant bliss. I just resent that argument. We have had 10 episodes in one season of a show. If any Sex and the City fan talks to you about the first season of that show, it didn't cover anything more than threesomes and having sex with hot supermodels and filming it. To compare 94 episodes of a series that went for six seasons to something that is just in its infancy, something that is embryonic in its stages, annoys me. Like, why can't we just have a fun, sugary show and not feel the need to rip it to shreds and say that it's not everything and it's not the most, I don't know, forthcoming in its commentary about feminism and all this stuff. Can't it just be what it is? I don't know why I love it so much. I know I am. I'm really, I think the better line of thought or better line of conversation for this segment is actually psychoanalyzing your really (laughs) defiant obsession with defending it because I I am very intrigued by it. I agree with you. It's great, but I'm not sure why we're not allowed to point out that there are really shitty, like, shallow aspects (laughs) to it and that we can still love it. Like, originally, when I saw commentary around Emily in Paris, I thought kind of similarly to you, that people did like the show, but they were a little bit snobby and didn't want to admit that they liked it. So they had to sort of point out all the flaws and kind of justify why they spent their time watching it. Mm. But having watched nearly all of it now, I think I've got two episodes to go. I don't think it's people trying to justify why they got through it. I think it's an objectively bad show. And I think that the main character is not (laughs) likable or very thoughtful or kind. I don't think it delves into anything at all, really, which is totally fine. It's great even in a time where there is lots going on in the world but I think a show or to like a show with zero substance in 2020 is to acknowledge that it serves no other purpose than for it to almost be mindful so the public commentary does make sense to me Mm. I think it's important to acknowledge that it doesn't offer much and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it doesn't make it the best show in the world either fair enough you know what I would absolutely love French listeners of Shameless to call into the podcast hotline and tell us what they think of this show because one article I really did love was in People magazine they spoke to young French women, particularly young Parisian women, about their reception to Emily in Paris. And one woman remarked, it is both entertaining and painful to watch. I'm not sure French people sleep around more than anyone else, but we make less of a big deal out of it. That does not mean that unfaithfulness is institutionalized or accepted. Having a mistress remains frowned upon and rare. And I think that got to the heart potentially of what some people don't like about Emily in Paris in that it's very myopic of the French experience in that everyone kind of cheats on their spouse. Everyone smokes cigarettes at work. Everyone has a dog that poos on the sidewalk and they just walk away and don't clean it up. From that perspective, if I was French, I would find it pretty frustrating. And I do understand that the stereotyping would wear pretty thin. Well, Premier, which is a French film magazine, wrote, when they decided to caricature us, they didn't hold back, which I felt was pretty bang on. Another interesting line of thought was from Craig Matheson, who wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald, who said, as representation goes, it is unwanted nostalgia, hinting to the fact that Paris is one of the most multicultural cities in the entire world. I mean, anyone who's walked through Paris would be able to attest to 
to that. And yet it gives you a very, very narrow view and almost completely unrealistic view of what Paris is like. Mm. I do want to talk to you about the influencer storyline before we wrap this episode up, because what I did like about Emily in Paris, although it was a very cliched way to cover influencerdom, I think it was one of the first popular mainstream shows to actually tackle social media influence in the way that it has. And although it wasn't in the most nuanced, intelligent way, I think I just appreciated the moving storyline that in the 90s and in the noughties, we really did idolize magazine columnists. That has now changed to the women who know how to market themselves and market brands on Instagram. And I've just been surprised at how slow moving perhaps some television companies have been to cover that storyline because that is simply what young women care about. And I think going from the magazine columnist in Carrie Bradshaw to the influencer hybrid in Emily Cooper is seminal to this show's success. And I think it speaks to what a lot of Gen Z want to watch. I think that's bang on. I think there's like a newfound glorification of the marketing exec role that it is so tied to social media now that it's become much sexier than it may have been 10, 15 years ago. I think with regards to social media use, I mean, I know maybe this is quite a specific point to make, but the Instagram use, Emily's Instagram use felt so shallow to me, which I kind of appreciate as a pretty (laughs) ironic comment. But I still don't think I've seen a film or TV tackle how young people actually use socials yet. Like maybe it's Mm. because people writing these scripts aren't in the thick of the use themselves or I, I don't know what it is, but I still haven't seen a character who uses social media or who understands how we use social media in a really nuanced way. I mean, it's not I'm not fighting for representation of fair social media (laughs) portrayal here. I don't give a shit that much. I just think it's interesting that I don't think young people are writing the scripts on how social media is actually used between people our age. Please come and talk to us. As we said, call our hotline because we genuinely want to hear your thoughts, particularly if you are Parisian. Have you watched the show? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Because it seems like everyone sits in one of two camps and there are very, very, very few people in the middle. Zara McDonald, I think that's all we have time for today. I think it absolutely absolutely is as always guys thank you so much for listening if you would like to support the show as Mish said you can do a couple of things I mean you can call the hotline that would be lovely you'll find that on our website you can also click that big green follow button on Spotify we would love you for that I'm not actually sure what else they can do <laughs> well this is the thing if you go to our website you'll see we've actually redone it so head to shamelessthepodcast.com thank you to Emma Hackett our wonderful graphic design guru who redid our website this week we love it and it will hopefully give you guys a better indication of what in conversation episodes we've done if you go on there and you're not actually up to date with our in convo apps but you want to listen to a few interviews search that back catalog we've interviewed so many people when i went through the website i was kind of taken aback by how many different names are on there so go through search for who you want you'll probably find them and yeah have a listen the new website's awesome we're very grateful to emma for it i can't talk anymore because i put chocolate in my mouth are we leaving that in? Annabelle, we're leaving that in. <laughs> don't, don't. Bye. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. 
It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.